0: Hey, you
1: Luke records for us in Acts chapter 21 the Apostle Paul as he moves back towards Jerusalem and the eventual incarceration. Welcome to Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stand. Today we're back in the book of Acts, chapter 21, the first 14 verses. We're taking a look at a message called, In Honor of the Gospel to Jerusalem. And it is just that, a gospel that is sent to Jerusalem through the Apostle Paul. And along the way, there are several warnings, warnings that we'll focus on here today. Won't you join us? From Grace Bible Church in Hayward, let's catch up with our teacher and pastor, Jessica Stan, for today's broadcast of Way of Grace.
2: When you love somebody, you will hazard your life to break through those natural barriers of resistance because you perceive that what you want for them is greater than what those natural forces don't want from you. So the dilemma for Paul is love. You know, his ethic was very clear. Romans chapter nine, verses one through four, where Paul is describing, if you pull that up, where Paul is describing his attitude towards his own Jewish people. I say the truth in Christ. I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. Before you go to verse two, just please mark that again. Don't don't let your habit of reading be like a rock skipping on the water. When that rock hits the water, let it sink down. So you have three clear, important assertions made in this verse that underscore the nature of Paul's concern. He's bearing witness to the truth of his conscience, calling on God and the Holy Ghost. Do you see it? In other words, he's not just talking from his own head. He's saying God knows and the Holy Ghost knows. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. Verse two, that I have great heaviness. And continual sorrow in my heart. Do you see it? Great heaviness and continual sorrow. You see what I mean by the dilemma of love? Great heaviness and continual sorrow. So the Lord Jesus had left and placed, placed and left in Paul's heart a profound interest in the eternal warfare of the Jewish people. It was such a profound interest and welfare that it kept him on a trajectory towards Jerusalem all the time. In his soul, he always wanted to go to Jerusalem. There are other uh, factors as well, but this is powerful relative to the term love. I was thinking about this a couple of weeks ago. I'm going to just toss it out there and it'll make sense to you redemptively as soon as you hear it. It is an amazing thing. It is an amazing thing To have someone love you. It is an amazing thing to be loved. I want it to settle on you. Does that resonate with anybody in the house? Does it resonate? Think about this for a moment. It is an amazing thing for someone to love you. Isn't it? Profound. Profound let alone God. I know we're leaping into that as though it's the ultimate, but before you do that, I just want to go back to the practical reality. Think about this. Not everyone experiences the love of someone else. Now, You guys know this year we're working on the whole concept of what? Uh-huh. Honor. And we want to adhere to the fourfold principle of First Peter chapter 2.17, right? We want to honor all men. That means we want to value them, we want to confer upon them, and we want to express it where opportunity years, because that's a position of strength, and we want to see blessings come out of it. Isn't that right? So in our minds, what I want to do right now as we study Scripture for all it's worth is I want us to use our minds appropriately to build a thesis of honor whenever we're reading Scripture. Am I making some sense? It is a powerful thing to be loved by someone. Think about the person or persons who have not ever experienced any tangible, intimate, profound, filial, or relational love. Think about the deficit in the soul. Think about the lack of certainty of their being. Think about the great challenge they have with their self-worth. Are you guys hearing what I'm saying? Think about the pain and toil of living a sustained life, unable to detect a direct one-on-one reciprocating love. Is that resonating with you? Right. And then think about the gift of being able To love someone. What I mean by able is the opportunity. I I think all healthy people would want to love somebody, right? But to have the opportunity to love, this is what we're working through. The opportunity to contemplate love, to, to frame our thoughts of love and to build a catalog of love expression and then to implement that love dialogically and on a practical level. Do you understand how blessed you are to be able to love somebody? It's a huge blessing. On the one hand, there's that person or people who don't feel the tangible dynamics of a reciprocating love, which is fundamental to everything, right? They don't get it. They don't have that opportunity or they're longing for. We'll talk about that when we deal with honoring singles, all right? But, but the point being is that if you think it through, it is a wretched condition for us not to be in the reciprocal relationship of love on some level. And God did not make our world for that not to be. God did not make our world and set up the structures of it governmentally as well for a human being to be in this world without being loved by somebody or without loving someone. He didn't make our world that way. Now, the only other thing I want to say about this before I move into our our point is make sure that you have a healthy understanding of the resident love in your own heart towards someone, and then in your honoring the God from whom all blessings flow, think cognitively and intentionally about everyone you get to love before you start talking about woe is me. Y'all with me? Y'all, y'all with me? You, are you with me right now? Right. So, so see how God has to keep, keep building us up, keep nurturing us. You see how he has to keep lifting us up out of the mire of obscurity and distortion of the facts of the blessings that are in our life? He's giving you somebody to love. ain't no doubt about that. And you might even be double blessed with people loving you back. How many of you here has God given somebody to love? I, he's given me a ton of people to love. I don't always always like them, but I love them. Now, I also know the blessing of reciprocating love. I'm just talking on a horizontal level. How about you? Do you have the blessing of you being able to love several persons and people love you back? Then this text that we're dealing with is going to make sense. You'll be able to go into the depths of it and draw out its implications. Otherwise, it's just a bunch of black words on white paper for you. All right, so let's work it through. I have greatness, great heaviness of heart and continual sorrow in my heart. And a person of love knows this. Now watch this. Here's the problem with love. It breaks your heart. And the ingredients of love are often and frequently mixed with heaviness and sorrow. Is that true? I want to love somebody. You better be ready to be heavy. I want to love somebody. You better, you better become acquainted with sorrow because the greatest love in the world personified in the person of Christ. He was a man of sorrows acquainted with griefs. Right, we're talking about actually maturing this year in the concept of honor, right? and uh, honoring all men and if we say we honor men then we have to love them appropriately going to jerusalem is a spiritual headwind some point deep. uh b the dilemma of love romans nine verses one uh, through four did we do all three our, all four verses go back then please romans nine verses one through four let me work this through just for those who are not acquainted with it um romans nine one through four Right, so well, let's keep going. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brother and my kinsmen according to the flesh. Do you see that? Yes. Oh, all we need is verse three. Look at that. So he, he's saying, I'm, I'm getting ready to tell you the truth. My heart is heavy, for I could wish myself accursed from Christ for my brother and my kinsmen after the flesh. Isn't that crazy, love? Now look at chapter 10, verse one. Now look at chapter 10, verse one. Take, taking the ingredients of sorrow and burdensomeness of heart based upon the witness of the Holy Ghost and a desire to be a curse for his brethren, which is a radical, Christocentric, cross-centered theology that fortunately Paul cannot affect and does not need to, but his heart is simply reflecting the answer to our brokenness and it's the cross work of Christ, right? Now look at verse 1 of chapter 10. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they what? Uh, Now we're talking love. Now we're talking love. Let's go back to our text, because here's the thing that I want you to sense as we work through the narrative. As we work through the narrative, I don't want you to question for one moment the love of any of the people with whom Paul is engaging, nor his own love. Do you guys follow that? Don't question the love. I I remember years ago hearing pastors and different expositors address this text and they completely missed the point. Wondering whether or not Paul actually was in the will of God. Did he submit to God? What should he went to Jerusalem? That was completely beside the point. Love will make you do things that are so counterintuitive. That if you don't understand the underlying substratum that drives a person in a certain direction, you'll miss it. See, this is why the world can't understand the cross because they don't understand the inherent love that drove Christ to die on the cross and the behalf of undeserving sinners. Am I making some sense? And so in our uh, third subpoint dealing with this his gospel mandate this is the axiom or the modus operandi or the fundamental principle that paul always operated uh, out of romans chapter one sixteen seventeen, 17 learn it by heart for i'm not ashamed of the gospel it is the power of god unto salvation to everyone that believes to the jew first then also to the gentile for therein is the righteousness of god revealed from from uh, faith to faith as it is written the just shall live by faith a powerful powerful axiom that we should all know so Paul's motive was love. Paul's aim was his confidence in the sufficiency and the efficacy and the power of one thing to change the wretched condition of his Jewish brethren, the gospel. So you can say you love people, but if in your love, it doesn't have a gospel aim, your love is mere emotion, right? Am I making some sense? So if we're going to honor all men relative to loving them, shouldn't we want to um, find ways by which they would be exposed to the gospel? Since the gospel is the only thing that can bring them into a right relationship with God and secure them for all eternity. And if we love men, wouldn't we also want them to have what we have? And if we have the grace of God and eternity with Christ and security and glory and a righteousness that can never, ever be revoked, we would want them to have that too, right? This is what's driving Paul. This is what's driving Paul's. Point number two, three, kinds, three kind prophetic warnings. Three kind prophetic warnings. So what I love about what is taking place in our text is that There is dialogue and conversation that's rooted in community and fellowship that's based upon love that's rooted in a walk in the spirit as my opening commentary was all about that if you and I as believers are appropriating our fellowship with God in a healthy level that when we come together as saints, we'll be able to actually admonish one another and edify one another because we won't be misstepping as a consequence of being so bereft of a walk with God, uh, walking around not breathing, if you will, that when we come together, naturally the outcome of the flow of the spirit in our life would be edification and encouragement under this rubric, prophecy. You guys see that? Prophecy. And we'll get a chance to talk about that in a little bit more of a technical sense today in in that what we stated is that we're going to be honoring not only going to Jerusalem, but honoring what? Prophecy. Because the Spirit of God has just forced this subject on us in this text three times. Look at verse four. And finding disciples, we tarried there seven days, who said to Paul through the what, through the what, that he should not go up to Jerusalem. Guess what they're doing? prophesying. Isn't that powerful? So about six stops and then they get to a family's house. And in that family's house, this is not the weird scenario where, you know, you are a believer in the home of unbelievers and their whole conversation is kind of carnal and you got to kind of just put up with it and tell it's time to leave. The people in the house know God like you do. And at the level of richness of fellowship, that when they open their mouth, it amounts to prophecy. Now, the Bible's clear that prophecy is designed to edify. We can easily say then what we have going on in this community is edification. Is that right? Edification is taking place. Prophesy, prophesy to me. Declare God's word to me. Make known the will of God to me. Express The unctions of the spirit of God based upon your walk with God in a critically right way. And I say in a critically right way because I am not an advocate for every Tom, Dick and Harry saying I have a word from the Lord. You guys already know that, right? But we are open to the reality that when God works in the hearts of his people and builds them up in a knowledge of the gospel, they can open their mouth from a heart that is informed by biblical truth and reflect God's word. That is prophecy. Am I making some sense? And in the supernatural sense of God leading in the directives of normal conversations, he can even reveal his will to us in the dialogue of people. I'm making sense. Am I making sense? It's critically important for you to know. I'll talk about those classifications in our last point as we make it down. But what I love about verse four is that um, Luke does not get into any kind of classification or any kind of technical form or structure of this sort of unction that takes place. He just says, in the spirit, they're operating and letting Paul know their concern about what's happening in Jerusalem. Now, what I love about this is that what God has done here is given us a scenario of the natural and the supernatural. Here's the natural. They don't know Paul really from the man on the moon. And even if they did know Paul from the man on the moon, they don't know everything about Paul like God does. Here's the natural. No matter how endowed you and I may be in terms of our knowledge of God's word, no matter how committed we may be in terms of our yielding to God, no matter how available we are in terms of God using us, we are always limited in our knowledge. Make sure you understand that that God never puts you into the center of the infinitude of his wisdom so that you see it in his full parochope. You don't. You only get a little sliver. And that little sliver can only work effectively in the small context in which it is to be applied. It's never to be forced into a broader context as if you see everything like God does. The moment you do that, you have distorted prophecy. Am I making sense? Father, give me a text. Well, you shouldn't have to ask that, but I'll give you one. Philippians chapter three, read it in your own time. Paul says very plainly, "Whereunto you and I have already attained, let us walk therein and do not go beyond what we know. In other words, learn how to appreciate the limitations because the limitations keep you safe and keep you from lying on God. Am I making some sense? Just say what you know and don't say more. That's what Jesus said in the gospel of Matthew. Let your yes be yes, your nay, not, nay, everything else is evil. It is possible to say something in the unction of the spirit that corresponds with God's word. We're going to talk about this. It's called the, the analogy of, of prophecy. It is, it is possible to say something that's in accord with God's word under the unction of the spirit because of your communion and fellowship with God. One minute. In the next minute, lie on God. Is it true? That's Matthew 16. I share that with you on Sunday. Verse 17, Lord, you are the son of the living God. You are the the Christ. And Christ made it clear before they moved on. Peter, that didn't come from you intrinsically. That's not a part of your DNA. God revealed that to you. Hold on, Peter, because you're getting ready to mess up now. Am I making some sense? Right, in other words, for us to say the right things in the right context, that glorifies God and edifies the saints cannot be owned as having this origin in us, nor can we assume that the same thing is gonna happen the next time I open my mouth. That's humbling. Isn't that humbling? But it's just true. So, um, finally disciples, they tarry seven days who who said to Paul through the spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem. Now, what I want you to capture in this verse is They didn't say that just on that evening when they had dinner. They said it every day for seven days. Oh, by the way, Paul, you shouldn't go to Jerusalem because I can tell you from what I understand by unction, there's a bunch of things going on in Jerusalem. There's strategies against you. There's hostilities against you. There are people that are saying things. You guys got what I'm saying? And just think about this. I'm going to show you the, I'm going to show you how love Pass out all fear. He had to listen to that for seven days. And he listened. And he didn't let it bother him. Nor did he rebuke them. And I'm going to show you how he could have, but he didn't when we deal with the hierarchy or what we call the qualities of prophecy, okay? They're in your outline. He just let them share. Powerful. Listen to me. Because he understood their motive. So when you understand motive, you don't have to misprioritize what they say versus what they mean. Am I making some sense? Don't go, Paul, don't go. Well, we'll deal with that on a a propositional level in a moment. But what they were saying is, Paul, we love you. That's all they were saying. Look at verse eight and nine. And the next day we were, we who were of Paul's company, this is Luke talking, departed and came unto Caesarea. I told you now we're in the regions of, of uh, Jerusalem, um, some 40 miles away, low above Samaria. We entered into the house of Philip, the evangelist. I love this because Paul now moves from one group of spiritual people. Now he headed to Philip's house. Now do y'all know Philip? was a soldier. He was one of God's soldiers. You guys know that, right? Acts chapter 6, seven men who were called to be deacons, two of them were gifted with evangelism, Philip and who else? Who else? The brother that was killed, his name is Stephan. Endowed with the Holy Ghost at levels of being able to do miracles as well as convert souls. He's at Philip's house, hanging out with the evangelists. And, and Luke gives him that title, and that's a title that's only given to a few people in Scripture because it was his prominent passion to go around preaching. You remember, this is the brother that ran all the way down to the Gaza Strip. From Samaria to the Gaza Strip, ran, caught up with that black brother, driving that Denali, headed back to Ethiopia. <laughs> Heard him reading the Scriptures with the window down, right? Do. Dude, he read this. He said, hey, do you understand what you're reading? Brother, let him jump up in the car with him. Windows down and air condition rolling. And it was what we call an assignment. Remember what I told you about assignments? You know, they are assignments. When they honor God as the outcome. And they are counterintuitive to your nature. See how mature Philip was to take the assignment of the angel and the spirit of God to go down Gaza strip which has always been a controversial road even to today. This is, this is where they kill people. He rolling down and then the Holy Ghost didn't tell him what was going to happen. Just go. Can you believe that? And then, and then when, the, when the heavens open up and the revelation is given as to what his assignment is, it's a black brother. You see how God crushes us to use us
1: That'll conclude our time today here on Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stan, the Ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Hayward. We thank you for spending time with us. Trust that as you do walk through God's Word with us, you're growing in grace, growing in your relationship with Christ and your love and adoration to Him. As we conclude our time together today, we would like to remind you that if today's broadcast was an impact to you, maybe it really blessed you, or maybe you've got a question or two that to listen to this program again would help out. Well, we have CDs available when you call or write to us. Or if you wish, simply stop by our website and download the audio file from the website. Our web address is grace-bible.com. Rather simple. Again, grace-bible.com. Or contact us by phone at 510-886-9782. That's 510-886-9782. If you're writing to us, the address is 22768 Main Street. And that's here in Hayward. The zip code is 94541. Again, that's 22768 main street hayward california 94541 is the zip code we ask for five dollars per cd or again as mentioned simply stop by our website and you can listen to the message in its entirety or download the mp3 version grace-bible.com One final note, we're inviting you to join us for worship. Sunday services are at 11 a.m. with Sunday school at 10 a.m. and then of course the Friday Bible study at 8 p.m. We'd love for you to stop by and join us for worship especially if you're not involved in a fellowship at this time. And then of course the Friday Bible study. We have folks from all kinds of churches all over the Bay Area joining us at 8 p.m. It's a marvelous time of studying God's Word together as a company of believers. Again, For directions, simply go to grace-bible.com or call 510-886-9782. Thank you for joining us today, and until next time, God bless.